Welcome back to Push and Play, a podcast where we discuss anything between design, culture, and social issues. This episode is a continuation of the conversation between Mari and myself, where we dive deep into the history of anti-Asian violence and share our suggestions on a few actionable things for people who'd like to support the AAPI community. You also shared this video on Instagram. I think um, it's about like the racial trauma. Um, yeah, and I think a lot of us from the Asian community don't realize that a lot of things we we have experienced in the past are considered as racial trauma. We try to ignore it or think that it's not a big problem. We move on and we try to like keep our heads down and be a good、uh, model minority, which is something that I think. It really is kind of a concept that's derived from, you know, all the assimilation that we've been doing. Like、mm-hmm. we're trying to bypass like the、um, the whiteness, and we're trying to、um, be a good citizen in this country. And by doing that, like we are usually silent about a lot of things that's happened to us, and we try to we we, we work really hard to earn all the degrees to getting to jobs like lawyers, doctors, engineers, you name it. And I think it took us a really long time to realize that this idea is so harmful to a lot of the、mm-hmm. Asian community in the U.S. and and I think. It's also something I didn't experience until I moved to this country. So,、mm-hmm. and I'm st- still learning about it. And I definitely want to spend some time discussing this. And I think for our audience, for some of our audience, they might not be as familiar with this concept or not sure what why it's perpetuating some really harmful mindset to、uh, not only the Asian community but other non-white communities. So, I'm curious to hear your take on this subject. Oh, I have a lot to say. Yes.、Um, so I think it's, I think it's really multi-layered.、Mm-hmm. You, know, you have the West perpetuating these forever wars in、yeah. Asia,、mm-hmm. and as a result of all this Western violence, you see a lot of dictators、mm-hmm. rising up in countries that have suffered.、Mm-hmm. These dictators are able to take power because of all the trauma that the West has inflicted. And then,、yeah. so you get people like my grandparents, who you know, were living in poverty as a fallout from things like the Opium Wars.、Um, even Eastern European people I know who, you know, were living under, you know, the KGB、mm-hmm. and who had to flee because of that. You know, people from these war-torn countries come here, and I think for some of them, because they lived under dictatorships. They tend to not speak out because、mm-hmm. speaking out could mean death. Yep, you know, growing up,、mm-hmm. um, some of it can be just being so grateful that you're,、mm-hmm. you know, not in immediate danger of、yeah. dying that you don't want to say anything bad about what's going on because you especially don't want to be sent back when you grew up in poverty, when you grew up with the threat of starvation constantly looming, and you get to somewhere. Where hopefully that's not as much of an issue. I think that for some people, it's like, well, I have food in my belly.、Mm-hmm. You know, racism—it's awful, but there's nothing I can do about that. So I'm going to keep working hard so that my family can eat and have clothes 
you know, and a roof over our heads. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think a lot of the silence and a lot of the not recognizing things as trauma comes from our war-torn pasts. Mm-hmm. On top of that, you get the the absence of the Asian exper- experience from mainstream media and culture. Mm-hmm. You know, it's only just now that we're getting representation in yeah. the media in Hollywood. Yeah, I remember. Um, right before Crazy Rich Asians came out, I was so excited, mm-hmm. you know, to finally see an all Asian cast, like the first one since yeah. the Joy Luck Club. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was so hopeful because I remember when the Joy Luck Club came out, when I was, you know, like single digits, I think, and there was no social media, but I was still hearing racist stuff, mm-hmm. you know, in relation yeah. to that um, with like, white women asking Amy Tan about, oh, I heard it's really common, you know, in Asian cultures for Chinese women or something to commit suicide all the time. Oh, <laughs> gosh. God. Oh, that's um, Yeah. Mm. But anyway, I remember, you know, Crazy Rich Asians was coming out and I was like, yes. Um, mm. And there was in the office I was working at, there was a Latina girl there. Mm-hmm. Um, an undergrad and she she didn't get it um Mm. and I I had to tell her I have never seen Asians portrayed as being wealthy like that in America Mm. never Mm. in my entire life yeah um and I definitely don't think we should all aspire (laughs) to be billionaires Mm -hmm. capitalism is at you know the base of a lot of our problems oh yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) but just being able to see the possibility that we're not all living, you know, in, in poverty, we're not all struggling, we can have, you know, good things. Mm -hmm. Um, Because that model minority myth tells us we're all doing well. And it's telling other people that too, you know, this girl, she, she wasn't trying to be an asshole. She, she wasn't trying to negate my experience or anything. She just she had heard nothing but the model minority myth. So she didn't mm-hmm. get why it was a big deal. Yeah. Whereas me coming from an immigrant family, it's like, no, this is, this is big. Yeah. Um, and I think part of it too is also gatekeeping. Mm-hmm. You know, we've touched upon it in design, mm-hmm. but it's in all communities. Um, you know, I have an Asian American therapist that's mm-hmm. amazing. I can't believe I found yeah. an Asian American therapist. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I didn't find her until I was in my late 20s. Mm-hmm. Um, because how many are there? You know, not a lot. Yeah. And without people who are experiencing those things, mm-hmm. you know, who are in who can speak to the theory and the science and everything behind it, but who also have that personal lived experience, you're just not going to hear about these things. Yeah. You know, I have a friend, um, I I have friends who've been to, you know, white therapists and the white therapists are like, what? That, that's a thing of like aspects of racism and the model minority myth. And it's like, yes, Mm -hmm. it is really a thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, that's even happened to me. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I remember when I first started to seek out for therapy, 
oh, first of all, it was not a thing in China at all. Like growing <laughs> up, like I just like didn't think I didn't even know this like therapy exists、um, until I came to the U.S. And I think last year that's when I started to actually seek out for professional help because, like seriously, I just didn't think I was gonna make it.、Um, like it, nothing like suicidal thoughts, but it was just like it was so hard. And I really thought that like I might. Get sent home with all the you know the the policy changes, immigration policy changes on especially towards the Chinese people in this country.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, but I remember when I when I started seeking for a therapist and I was looking them up. And first of all, I only found like three of them within my area.、Mm-hmm. And then、uh, so. Later, like I got reached out by the network that I was I was contacting with, and then they sent me this、uh, the name of a therapist、uh, who is I think Chinese American, and then I looked her up, and I found out that she is actually specialized in child or like teenager counseling, and I was like,、mm-hmm. I I guess. I don't think I really fit into that category,、um, but I guess like that's just how rare it is, like for for you、mm-hmm. to find Asian representations in a lot of the industries. Like, and I think it's so, but it's so crucial. Like, I think representation. People sometimes people say things like, "Oh, why are you making this all about race?" It is about race, though. Like, yes, like, yeah, and I just feel like people. Some people, especially from the Like I guess from the white culture or the Western culture, they don't they don't really understand. Not at all. Yeah, and、uh, I I don't even know where to begin because like I feel like sometimes I get into those arguments and I try to help them understand why this is about race,、um, mm-hmm. but they just think that like I think yeah basically they were just trying to gaslight me、um, and think、right. that you know I was making this a big deal、um, mm-hmm. or that like. Why am I always talking about race? So, yeah, it's when you're in it, it's so hard to see it.、Um, especially when you're in it and the system is working for you.、Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, I think you put it、uh, perfectly. Yeah, I think one of the other major reasons why we haven't been acknowledging our trauma as trauma. Is because it's so pervasive. We're so used to all of these slights and racial slurs、mm-hmm. that it's just part of our everyday experience.、Yeah. And then when you're gaslit on top of that, whether it's by a therapist or a friend or a teacher, it's especially when you're gaslit at such a young age.、Mm-hmm. It's like, well, maybe I am complaining about nothing. Yeah. And then race in America is so polarized. It's black. And it's white. Yep. There is so much in between,、mm-hmm. and the Asian American experience tends to get lost in that,、um, especially before Black Lives Matter, when、mm-hmm. the general public was less aware <laughs> of issues of race.、Yeah. It was like, well, I didn't call that person the N word, so I must not be racist. <sighs> yeah. No. <laughs> mm-hmm. Something that that really resonated with me,、um, what you just said, is. The polarization when it comes to systemic racism. I mean, there is a reason why it's called systemic racism because it's a whole systemic problem, and there is a spectrum. Like I, I am actually thinking about creating an illustration to help 
kind of highlight uh, to help demonstrate or help explain like we're not trying to compete with one another like every culture like every ethnicity has experienced different types of trauma and like it's not comparable and we're not trying to make it into a race olympics it's rather like to understand how the racism for towards each culture was developed and how it's being impacting each culture like it's so different and i i really think that um in order to fully dismantle systemic racism, like even us, like coming from an Asian, the Asian community, I don't think I fully understand how other BIPOC communities have suffered from systemic racism. So I'm doing a lot of study and work on my own to really uh, not only help my own community speak up, but also with other BIPOC communities. You know, I really like the PBS series that are mm, yeah. um, these issues of like the Asian American experience, mm-hmm. um, you know, Native America, those things. Um, I think they're really great introductions to yeah, those. Yeah. Um, for me, it all comes down to genuinely and deeply engaging with people mm-hmm. in other communities. Yeah. Um, you know, I've learned about Latin American struggles because I've had really close friends Mm -hmm. from various countries in Latin America. Mm -hmm. Um, I've learned it's, it's a little different with black struggles because one of, one of the problems with growing up Asian in America is that you're seen as a perpetual foreigner. Mm -hmm. And so (laughs) there's often, and I did this too, when you're young, you try and distance yourself from certain aspects of the culture. Mm-hmm. Like I never tried to distance myself from the food cause it's just too tasty. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I remember I was in high school and we had to choose um, one author to read mm-hmm. their books throughout the year. Mm-hmm. And by the time it came to me, there were two choices on the list. It was Pearl S. Buck or Alice Walker. And I was like, well, I can't choose Pearl S. Buck because then, oh, people will say she just chose the Asian woman because she's Asian. Mm -hmm. And so I chose Alice Walker Mm -hmm. Um, and she ended up becoming one of my favorite authors. Um, That's how that's how I started relating to the black experience Mm -hmm. um, by reading works by black women. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that's another really important thing people can do. Mm-hmm. is, you know, just diversify mm-hmm. <laughs> all your media, whether right. it's podcasts, movies, you know, mm-hmm. books. Um, but then going back to really engaging deeply and authentically with people yep. from those communities, not because it's like, oh, you know, I don't have any Native American friends, I should probably get one. Um, <laughs> like, my boyfriend, he's Black. Mm-hmm. Um, and we being together has grown our understanding of race so much for both mm-hmm. of us. Mm-hmm. You know, we've both made mistakes. Yeah. We've both said or done things. We're like, oh, damn, we didn't realize mm. that's actually a stereotype that's mm. grounded in racism. Mm-hmm. Um, and because we care for each other so much, we we're able to point that out and immediately be like, whoa, I see what you're saying. Mm-hmm. I am sorry. Mm-hmm. You know, as opposed to, you know, 
fighting with the other person like oh no that's not what it is or I didn't mean it that way so you know whatever it's the intent that matters Mm -hmm. um it's you know speaking with people from other communities um from a really genuine place Mm -hmm. acknowledging your mutual humanity um that that has been for me Mm -hmm. the best way the strongest way that I've learned about other cultures that's so beautifully put. Thanks, Mari, for that. And I think another, uh, I guess a couple of things to kind of follow up, like I totally resonate and echo with what you said. And I think for me, um, I actually, I do feel bad that, you know, the first couple of years when I first came to move to the U.S., I think a lot of the media consumption that I have, that I've had are all centered around the whiteness, like the Eurocentric um, con- conceptions. And it wasn't until I guess recent years I started to pick up books or started watching TV shows or movies that really highlight different cultures. And I think one recent TV show that I watched was called Woke. Uh, it's on Hulu. Yeah, it's a really, really good one. And it highlights this um, black cartoonist who has been using his uh drawings to highlight a lot of the systemic race systemic racism in the u.s and i just i love seeing more shows like this and i think i can't go back now and like all the books that i've been reading are i mean it's just it's been heavy it has been really heavy and sometimes i do have to take breaks but i i tend to watch uh shows um that still kind of highlights some of the cultural aspect. I I just really can't go back to like the pure, um, like- Emily in Paris. Yeah, oh my gosh, yes, that, exactly. Whatever that category uh, is called. And, um, but I do want to recommend a show to to you and to our audience if you, oh no, I think you love that show, Kim's Convenience. I love that show so much. I'm so sad. I know. It only has one more season. Oh my God. I saw that. Yeah, but I do, I appreciate the news. So basically, for those of you who don't know, Kim's Convenience Convenience, um, is a show that kind of talks about how in a a Korean-American family has been kind of navigating a lot of different situations uh, while living in in Toronto, Canada. It was shot in Toronto. Um, So still a pretty like Western culture. They're like living in and yeah it's just like it highlights a lot of different interesting aspects of how the asian culture kind of fits into the the western culture um the similarities and the differences and um yeah it's super interesting and all the stories are told through a comical lens which i really appreciate because you still feel like you're learning something but it's not as heavy as some of the documentaries recently they put up a a post and the news on like all of their social media platforms saying that because i think two of their writers are leaving and they feel like they can't really produce the show in a through an authentic lens so they felt that um it's a better idea to to stop the show instead of producing something creating something that is rather um, like inauthentic or that doesn't tell like the full story for korean american family um yeah it's super sad and i think i might just end up re-watching the show over and over again 
Yeah. I appreciate the commitment to authenticity, Mm -hmm. but also why can you not find more Korean American or Korean Canadian writers? Right. Yeah, definitely. They're out there, but thanks to gatekeeping, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. people just don't know about them. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So I know one thing we talked about is how this model minority myth is so harmful to the struggle for racial justice. And I think, you know, a lot of the success of some groups of Asian American immigrants is often held as an example toward which other groups should strive. And it really suggests that Asian Americans are doing well and that if other groups would only work harder, have stronger family bonds or get over their histories of oppression, they should too succeed. But when paired with racist myths about other ethnic or racial groups, I feel like the model minority myth is used as an evidence to deny or downplay the impact of racism and discrimination on people of color in the United States. And given the history of that impact on Black Americans particularly, I feel like the myth is ultimately a means to perpetuate a lot of the anti-Blackness that we've been seeing. And I think from some previous conversations the two of us have had, you mentioned about how important solidarity is to you. And you drew a lot of parallels between a lot of the historic events that's happened to the, the Black, the Brown, Latinx, and the Asian community. So I'm curious to hear more about like your thoughts on this topic. Yeah, I enjoy history. You know, there's a lot of power in knowing history. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I am trying to talk to people about anti-Asian violence or the importance of solidarity, I like to go over the history mm-hmm. of things. Um, and because I'm Chinese American, I say it from a Chinese American and an East Asian mm-hmm. perspective, yeah. because that's what I know. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of our struggles are distinct, mm-hmm. but white supremacy uses the same playbook. Yeah. So you have the opium wars in the 1800s in China, where the British were like, you know what? We want all that tea and silk and spices and ceramics and everything, but we don't really want to pay you for it. Mm -hmm. So we are going to flood your country with opium. Even though you have outlawed opium, we're going to flood it with your country with opium so we can destabilize everything and get all of your cultural heritage for a steal. Mm -hmm. How similar is that? to other marginalized communities' experiences. Mm -hmm. You know, the war on drugs on black and brown communities in America. Mm -hmm. A lot of what's happening in Latin America with drug cartels. Yeah. You know, this is because of Western influence, um, because of Western aggression. Mm -hmm. And so as a fallout to the Opium War, you get um, Chinese American, or you get Chinese people going to America. to try and get some financial stability. And they often came in as railroad construction workers. Mm -hmm. And they came in because the white railroad tycoons Mm -hmm. were paying Irish immigrants to do the work, but they looked down on the Irish too, you know? Mm -hmm. Westerners, they've colonized the world but they started that colonization in their own backyards yeah. <laughs> with Wales, Ireland, and Scotland. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they were paying all these Irish workers who they didn't fully consider white anyway, mm-hmm. um, like really awful wages. And they're like, 
but that's even too much. They, yes. they still don't deserve that much. We need more money in our pockets. So then they brought over Chinese men mm-hmm. and paid them even less. And I think of that and I think of migrant laborers who are fleeing these their countries that are being torn apart by mm-hmm. drugs, um, by these drug wars started by America, mm-hmm. coming here to try and find safety and stability for their families and having to work, you know, at inhumane wages, Mm -hmm. you know, being exploited. And again, none of these stories are the exact same. It's not to say one group suffering is worse or, you know, better than the others. It's to see how we are all in this together. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and at that time, it was reconstruction in Mm -hmm. the United States, you know, 18... You know, 82, the Chinese Exclusion Act passed. It was the very first anti-immigration bill that passed in America, specifically banning Chinese people. And then you see the Muslim ban. And also at the same time, leading up to the Chinese Exclusion Act and even after it, were mass lynchings of Chinese people. Mm -hmm. They burned us alive. They burned our Chinatowns alive. They actually used the N-word for us back then too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, we get into the 20th century. um, And, oh, and by the way, we had activists, we had Chinese American activists back then Mm -hmm. who were writing very eloquently on Mm -hmm. why the Chinese Exclusion Act shouldn't be passed and, you know, why Chinese people deserved rights. Oh, and one other thing from that period, part of the Chinese Exclusion Act was that they just wanted to eradicate Chinese people from this country. Mm -hmm. Um, So it wasn't just about, you know, stopping um, more people from immigrating. It was also about making sure that the Chinese people who were here did not have any children. So in the act, um, if you were a woman, if you were a Chinese woman, you had to prove that you never had been and never would be a prostitute. And then I look at the fetishization of Asian women now, and it seems directly linked to to those old fake beliefs. Um, And you see this across all marginalized groups where the women are portrayed as promiscuous or only good for sex and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you, yeah, back to the 20th century, um, you know, you get to World War II. Um, and the Japanese internment camps where the U.S. government said, you can't trust any Japanese people. You know, they're all going to, you know, betray us. And so they rounded up all Japanese Americans, you know, they could find these people lost their homes, their property, um, and they were put, you know, in internment camps, living in horse stalls and things Mm -hmm. like that, and very prominent um, Japanese Americans that are still alive today were in those camps, like George Takai. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, <laughs> when we started with the kids in cages, yeah, I was just with Latin American kids in cages. I was just like, we've been here before. Mm-hmm. Why are we doing this again? Yeah. Why don't people pay attention to history? Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, there's the issue of history doesn't really get taught right in America. We gloss yeah. over a lot of it. Mm-hmm. You know, how many textbooks 
are still out there that say, oh, mm-hmm. the South seceded from the Union because of states' rights when really it was slavery. Yeah. Uh, growing up, my school textbooks were progressive by comparison because we had one ch- one paragraph on the opium wars. Mm. <laughs> so you get into the civil rights movement mm-hmm. and you have more and more Asian American activists um, coming up, especially women, you know, mm-hmm. Yuri Kochiyama and Grace Lee Boggs, they were friends with Malcolm X. Mm-hmm. Yuri Kochiyama held his hand as he was dying. Um, but those stories don't get talked about because they're not good for white supremacy. When we stand in solidarity with each other, we can dismantle mm-hmm. the system. We can push back against them. Mm-hmm. But by keeping us apart, by all this fighting, yeah. then they have more power. And so you don't hear how Asian Americans were on the front lines fighting for black rights. You don't hear how black Americans were on the front lines fighting for Asian rights. Mm-hmm. Um, Frederick Douglass <laughs> wrote in support of Chinese immigrants. Mm-hmm. These are not the histories that get taught. Yeah. Um, and because people could see how powerful this was, at the same time, you get a white man, a sociologist, you know, academia, <laughs> coming up with the model minority myth. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, what happens is you get Black Americans and Asian Americans fighting for reparations for the Japanese community mm-hmm. um, because they lost, you know, all their wealth, their homes, and no one should have to live in an internment camp, you know. No, yeah. Um, and so we actually got the U.S. government to issue an apology and to send small cash payments to Japanese American families. Mm-hmm. Um, and you had Asian Americans who were fighting right alongside Black Americans for reparations for Black people. Mm-hmm. It's like, we got reparations, we deserved them, but clearly you all deserve them too. Let's work together. Right. And so seeing this strong solidarity you get people like this white sociologist coming up with the model minority myth Mm -hmm. to say, see, look at all these Japanese Americans. They're doing fine. If Mm -hmm. you just pull yourself up by the bootstraps, you can be fine too. Yeah. Totally missing the point that Mm -hmm. part of why they were able to do so well was because they received received financial remuneration Mm -hmm. for all that trauma and for the theft of their property. Right. Um, And it was directly used to drive a wedge between our communities so that both communities think, oh, the other one doesn't do anything for them. They don't see us. When no, we have been fighting for each other all along. Mm -hmm. And it's only because of white supremacy that we start to think that, oh, Asians don't experience racism. Oh, Black people, they're just not working hard enough. No, Mm -hmm. the American government has directly worked to tear black families apart Mm -hmm. yeah put them in poverty Mm -hmm. and these same you know policies these same laws that put black people in poverty put asians in poverty too Mm -hmm. that's why the burmese community the hmong community all of these other immigrant asian immigrant communities are living in poverty yeah um and so it's it's really just all a red herring to make us fight with each other instead of seeing how even though our histories, our struggles are unique to our own communities, mm-hmm. they're still connected. They're 
they're related because yeah. all of these atrocities, you know, from the theft of Hong Kong to the theft mm-hmm. of Turtle Island, yeah. even though they're very different, there was still that theft of land right. going on, mm-hmm. um, perpetuated by the same exact people. Yeah. You know, you had the people who were in the opium war were also slaveholders. Yeah. Some of them were mm-hmm. um, in Boston. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, thank you so much for sharing like all these uh, like historic events and how like, and the, drawing the parallels between all of them. I, I, I think you were absolutely right. Like we have been fighting together, like between all these communities, but it's really the white supremacy that has torn us apart. But and I think until recently, like lots of these historic events have been surged, resurged to the surface and then we're seeing them more and more often. And I think for me, I am starting to learn more and more about them. And I'm so happy to have learned more from you today. So thank you so much for sharing all of them. And I think one thing I have personally experienced that I would like to share, I'm sure you would resonate with as well, is that by me sharing some of the racism that I have experienced when I, after I've moved to the US and by speaking up for my community, I'm actually able to empathize more with the other communities and that's only gonna help me know and understand and learn how I could help them as well so it's yeah helping them because we lift each other up exactly because of white saviorism Mm -hmm. telling us that we know better than Mm -hmm. other people yeah exactly yeah, I really think that solidarity is such an important aspect that I think more and more people need to understand and start to really incorporate that into our mindset. And also when speaking up, like really carry that mindset um, with us and also start like also really go back to the history. And I think it's so important, like you mentioned, um, I think a lot of the historic events that you have talked about, I like, I'm just starting to learn more about them, even though I have learned, learned about some of them when I was in high school, but that's like through a different lens since like, sure. yeah, it was well, taught. It makes sense. Yeah. Cause you grew up in China. So of course you would know more about Chinese history. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. And I just really hope that, and oh, one thing I, I wanted to mention, which like was so infuriating. I remember it was during the Black History Month uh, this year. I think it was either like tech, a a school from Texas or one of those states that has made an announcement on giving the option to kids to opt out on learning about the Black History Month. (sighs) That was insane. Like Mm -hmm. it should be mandatory. That can be, how can you, how could you make that an option because people don't want to admit right that america is all stolen land mm-hmm. that was built by enslaved people yeah yeah because that that flies directly in the face of american exceptionalism mm-hmm. yeah yeah when i or before i moved to the u.s i was sold on this idea that america is the greatest country in the world like it has right. all the the most advanced technologies and it's the wealthiest uh, country in the world though it, it's true to some extent 
not the the best country part. Uh, but, <laughs> right. Just it it wasn't until you know I feel like recent years that I started to pay more attention to a lot of the social issues and started to act upon them. Uh, had I realized. Mm-hmm. What a lie it has been, and you know, especially during COVID. Wow, like we're seeing so many cracks within all the system that we have in this country, and yet a year after, we not only have we not seen any justice for Breonna Taylor, it's been a year, and we are still seeing more and more racism. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, not only towards the Asian community, but like the black community are still suffering so much from mm-hmm. this. So, um, yeah, really, I think going back to the history, really diversify also the history books that you're reading and also starting to seek for solidarity is or and to- listening this- to yeah. marginalized groups, mm-hmm. you know, Native Americans have been getting arrested for trying to protect their land, for trying to say, no, we don't want your gas and water pipes coming through here and ripping things up. Mm -hmm. And I think when you might, on the off chance that the news, you know, plays that because maybe it's happening in your local town, Mm -hmm. I think you need to step back and say, why are they fighting so hard? Mm -hmm. What is the real issue here? Mm -hmm. It's believing. marginalized people it's you know one of the things I've come to realize during the pandemic with these skyrocketing levels of racist violence Mm -hmm. is that I fundamentally think differently from most white people that when and people of color (laughs) have these issues too Mm -hmm. where your mind is so taken over with whiteness Mm -hmm. with individuality versus collectivism yeah that it doesn't even register Mm -hmm. that there might be a different way to do things right or that maybe you should listen to people of color Mm -hmm. I remember when I was in high school I had a fairly privileged upbringing Mm -hmm. um I I had never experienced police violence but Mm -hmm. I had heard about black and latin communities facing police violence Mm -hmm. and i I casually, you know, mentioned to one of my friends, you know, about how awful cops are. And he, this white man, <laughs> this white boy lectured me about, oh. what do you mean? You don't want to get raped, do you? Oh. And it's, it's those little instances. It's not because yeah. I'm an amazing person because I listen to people's firsthand accounts. No, it's that there's this very casual dismissal mm-hmm. of anything that, goes against the white narrative Mm -hmm. Um, whether you're a white person or a person of color who believes these things um it's yeah there's there's just this assumption that the way things have been are the only way to do things Mm -hmm. they're the only right way and I think you see that in design yes so much oh my god yeah Mm mm-hmm and it, it actually, it all stems from chattel slavery. Um, yeah. So you had the slave trade and people back then, they knew, they knew it wasn't right. And so you had prominent European philosophers like Hegel trying to make it seem okay. Mm. And that's where the myth 
of universal design gets born um, because he said that the European way is the is so right. Mm-hmm. It's so right that it is the only correct way to do things. Mm-hmm. And so you see that in design with modernism talking about how, oh, we need to design universal design, not universal design for like designing for accessibility. Sure. But this one way we design is the only right way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, you cannot make your thing gold. You cannot use decoration or pattern. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why you still get people like that horrible pedophile Adolf Luce mm-hmm. being taught as a fundamental part of architecture and design curriculum, yeah. where his entire argument was, you know, all these non-Western people, they're toddlers and they use decoration. So we shouldn't, like he literally said, people from Papua New Guinea are toddlers. Uh. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's never questioning. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think when you're raised in America and you are always being questioned mm-hmm. on who you are, what you believe, that I think it's easier to start to see how a lot of this is just constructed. It's all just fake. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. it's all false narratives. Um, and for me especially, it was, I think, easier than for some people to see the lies behind it because yeah. I am half white. I have all these white family members mm. and they are by and large white supremacists. Mm-hmm. Um, and so growing up, I would hear them making slurs against Chinese people wow, and against Latinx people and against black people. And I'm sitting there like little Mari is just like, oh, wait a minute, but I'm Chinese. Yeah, I know the slur you're making is against Chinese men, not Chinese women, but it still speaks to a fundamental part of who I am. Mm -hmm. Maybe something is wrong here. Yeah. Maybe all of the horrible racist things you're saying about all of these other groups, maybe that's wrong too. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, I think that's a lot of the big difference um, that happens between recent immigrants and people who have grown up in America in marginalized communities, because when you're not in America, you see the propaganda. Mm -hmm. You don't see the racism because the U.S. doesn't want you to see that racism. Yeah. Um, And so I think one of the fundamental differences between Asian Americans born here and Asian Americans who come here mm-hmm. is we know from a young age, racism is real, unless yeah. we're gaslighting ourselves. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. We, we have more, we have a bet. We have a more clear understanding of solidarity. Mm-hmm. I relate on a fundamental level when it comes to family and family pressures and collectivism to people who are from Asia whether they're Chinese or Desi, you, um, whether they're an immigrant or mm-hmm. an Asian American, mm-hmm. there's a part of how we just see the world that I don't see with my white friends. Mm-hmm. Um, but the flip side of that too, is that when you're growing up Asian in America is that Asians are seen as a monolith. Mm-hmm. The, yeah. the phrase Asian American came out um, 
out of the civil rights movement so we could, you know, find solidarity with each other, not to make us a monolith, Mm -hmm. but it's become a monolithic term. Um, And just growing up under this racially oppressive system, you start to see yourself as a monolith too. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you lose a lot of those beautiful details Mm -hmm. that separate someone who's Vietnamese from someone who's, you know, Laotian, someone mm-hmm. who's Bangladeshi from someone who's Pakistani. Right. Um, so there's a give and a take. Mm-hmm. You know, as an Asian American, I feel like I, I see the, the strength and the beauty and solidarity, but I've also lost mm-hmm. so much of the, the, the individual. Diversity. Yes. Yeah. That make all of our cultures unique. Definitely. Um, Whereas when I speak to someone who's a recent immigrant from China, I'm like, oh my God, guess what? My grandma's from Toy Son. Yeah. Like, I've never heard of why are you even telling me this? Why do I care? Oh. And it's, it's trying to find that solidarity. Yeah. Whereas when you grow up in a culture where you are part of the majority, you don't need to have that solidarity because you yeah. don't need to be protected. Right. Yeah. It's so interesting because like because I didn't grow up in in this country and coming here uh, as an international student and now a foreign worker like I uh, I I feel like it's like what you were saying like I can relate to a lot of the things that you have experienced but I also think that maybe the reason why like all these news have been hitting me so hard is because I had never experienced racism in, in China. Like, like everyone else looked just like me when I was when I when I grew up, and I like I was part of the majority. Like I never had to worry about my safety. I never had to worry about me being so different than the rest of uh, my classmates. And I never really had to think about like how I could fit in because like we're we're the same. So I I I think it's so and it's so interesting because I am actually really grateful that I I am like this is hitting me really hard because it is kind of encouraging me in some way or inspiring me inspiring me to do some work upon it whereas I think I recently talked to a friend of mine uh, who grew up in here as an Asian American and she mentioned that like it took her a while to speak up on this issue because one it has been triggering a lot of her previous memories. So speaking up has, bec- mm-hmm. has been really difficult for her. But also um, at the same time, because she has experienced a lot of similar situations, because like, I think one thing we've been trying to, uh, trying to highlight is that the racism towards the Asian community did not start with COVID. It has yeah. existed for a really, really long period of time, like going back to all the history that you've mentioned. So I think for her, like it's, it's in some way, it's almost like it's ingrained in her everyday life or in her experience that she didn't feel like this is hitting her as hard as it has been to me, mm. um, which is kind of sad to me because she was also saying, oh, wow, like, I, I can't believe like, it's so it's being so internalized. And that like, mm-hmm. I, I didn't even had that kind of urge to speak up at first. 
but now she has been like after she has kind of digested and processed everything and she feels like we have to we have to share our experiences I guess on the bright side I do feel like we're hitting a pivotal moment right now because you're seeing Mm -hmm. more and more people either from the Asian community or the non-Asian community start to speak up more about all the racism towards the the Asian community so yeah I, I do feel that I'm hopeful that more and more people will start to understand the existence of the mm-hmm. anti-Asian racism. Um, but still, there's so much more work to do. I hope so, too. I just, I sometimes struggle with yeah. having that hope. You know, I think in general, mm-hmm. things can get better. Yeah. I just, I struggle with believing I that understand. we will have that big change in people's hearts and minds in our generation. Oh, Yeah. Definitely. I think it's going to take a really, really long time. And I totally understand why you struggle to believe in that. And um, yeah, I guess, again, like I said, I, I think I, I tend to be uh, optimistic just because I, I do want to believe in humanity. Yes, it's important. But it's, yes, <laughs> but, some optimism. Yeah. but I do. I totally understand uh, where you're coming from. So we started talking about, you know, some of the like actionable items that we uh, could do in combating the systemic racism and uh, recently, I guess, specifically for the anti-Asian racism. So I'm curious to hear what are some of the other things you think, like aside from having the solidarity, really listening to Asian people, amplifying our voices, what are some of the other things you think we could do for everyone? You know, I think one of the things we've touched on before, which is learning the history. Mm-hmm. You know, Asians, we are not silent. We have fought yeah. for civil rights, mm-hmm. for justice. And so learning about people like Yuri Kochiyama and Grace Lee Boggs, learning about our struggles is really important. Because I think when people see the difficulties others have gone through, Mm -hmm. they can relate that to their own lives. And you shouldn't only be able to feel sympathy for someone because they remind you of things that have happened to you, Mm -hmm. but it is an easier in for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, I know there are mass efforts, massive efforts to um, volunteer Mm -hmm. to escort Mm -hmm. Asian elders. So if you can, you know, volunteer for that, donate to those causes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then like, just on a similar note, when it comes to donating, I think the a lot of Asian restaurants have been hit so hard during this pandemic. And like, I personally had, I think we talked about this uh, briefly. Um, I've been going to an Asian supermarket like this entire time during COVID one because it's very safe like they were the first like couple of supermarkets have actually installed all the like the windows between the cashier and the customers and then also they've been doing a lot of cleaning and compared to a lot of the other supermarkets they were just like starting to realize oh COVID is real and that took like most of them maybe a few weeks to finally install all these uh, additional equipment or safety measures. And I think um, also like if you can, I would definitely try to order from 
Asian restaurants, and I, I know like a lot of restaurants, big ones in New York, have closed down. It's just so heartbreaking, um, and. Also, there's just been a lot of racism towards like, oh, don't go to Asian restaurants because like, uh, you will get COVID if you eat their food. <sighs> like that was, I, I honestly still cannot believe that. Like people actually thought that was, uh, that was true. Um, and I think also, you know, as simple as just reaching out to someone you know who's Asian, um, like just check in on them. Like you can say things as mm -hmm. simple as. Hey, like I'm, I'm really sorry to hear what's been happening to your community. Though I might not understand your full experience, let me know if there's anything I can do to help, or if you want to talk. Um, I think just as simple as that, like a simple act of kindness can sometimes go a really long way. So that's one thing I would also suggest um, to people. I second that. Mm -hmm. I um, I had a friend where. We just, you know, every now and then check in with each other. And she was checking in with me, not specifically about sure. the Asian violence, mm -hmm. the anti-Asian violence. Um, but I started speaking about it. And even though that's not how she started the conversation, mm -hmm. she listened to what I was saying. Yeah. She empathized. Yeah. You know, and just being able to be heard mm -hmm. is is a lot. Yeah. It's very it, meaningful. It means a lot. And like also like I, I'm so grateful for, for you, Mari, and like just to be able to have this conversation like so hard to heart. And yeah, and it, it means so much to me. Like it really does. And I really think our audience will resonate as well because one, I think some of them, like even for me, I have learned so much from you hearing about your experiences. Because again, um, yes, we all come from an Asian household or background but our experiences can be very different things that we've learned uh, growing up how we have like things that we've experienced so i like just even having this kind of conversation understanding each other each other's struggles and help each other listen to each other it's just it can it can go a really long way and then yes. one other suggestion that I have is I think for a lot of companies or organizations, they're starting to realize, oh, there's so much work that we need to do when it comes to our diversity, <laughs> equity and inclusion um, efforts. And I think some people like their first reaction or their first intuition might be to go to an Asian colleague of theirs and ask them, about their experience, ask them to speak up, ask them to share their stories. I think I can argue in both ways. Um, I do appreciate people coming to us um, to, to understand our experiences from a more first person perspective. But at the same time, I do feel that there is a balance to keep because talking about some of our stories and experiences can be very triggering. And it just, it we are, carrying so much emotional labor when doing these type of work. So like, I think either companies pay for their Asian employees to do those extra amount of work or they mm -hmm. seek out external resources. There's a lot of organizations that do this type of training or this kind of speaking professionally. So there's all these resources that they can go to. And I think there's a lot of ways to kind of support on, on this subject. And I just hope that uh, places won't have this 
expectation to fully rely on their BIPOC employees to speak about their their stories and experiences. And I think another important aspect of that is if you are going to have your own employees speak about these things, aside from making sure you pay them for that time, Mm -hmm. is asking them if they want to. Don't just assign them this Mm -hmm. task like, oh, I'm checking it off my diversity, you know, list. Mm -hmm. Ask them. Yeah. Not everyone wants to, Mm -hmm. especially not at work. Right. Um, Yeah. Especially not in workplaces where they've probably experienced microaggressions, if not outright, you Mm -hmm. know, in your face racism. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's such a great um, perspective. So, um, Mari, I know we talked about so many things. And again, thank you so much for your time. You're, you've been so generous. And then for every episode, we tend to end on a rather lighthearted question. So today, I, I'd like to ask you a question that I'm super excited to hear about, uh, which is what your favorite Chinese dish is. Yes, um, it is a soup that my grandma used to make mm-hmm. all the time. Um she would especially make it for me because she knew it was my favorite is a black bean soup. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. It's, it's unlike Cuban black bean Mm -hmm. soups, which are thick. This is really much more blocky and it had oxtail in it. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds so good. Thank you so much again, Mari. I, again, so grateful for, for your time and all of the, things that you've shared with us today. And uh, if our audience would like to learn more about you, where can they find you? On Instagram, I am not a bird designs. That's not, and then an underscore between mm-hmm. all of the words. Yeah. Um, I'm also starting a initiative um, to help um, implement circular economies mm-hmm. into design. Yeah. Um, and so you can find me um, at designing with waste the website is not ready yet but Mm -hmm. I have started an Instagram account for that awesome yeah I'm so excited to see what you come up with with everything that you're doing um and thank you yeah and thank you so much for inviting me on here it's been really wonderful getting to talk to you about these things it's my pleasure So that's a wrap on the topic of anti-Asian violence. And I hope you've resonated with our conversation and learned something new from it. If you like this episode, please share this podcast with your friends and give us a review on Apple Podcasts so others can find us as well. I look forward to having you join my next conversation to learn and reflect together. See you next time. Bye.